Okay, continuing, grace rules, overpowers, and gives strength to not only to be a Christian, but to do what's required, the actions, the fruits, the obedience. If it's not that kind of grace, you got false grace. You got lip service. Grace and faith must work now, or it is a mere lip service, as James would say, and we'll find that Paul's going to say the same thing. Faith without spiritual works is what he's talking about, not Pharisaical works, not Catholic works, not Protestant rituals. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit and obeying the Lord, okay? So faith without works does not exist as far as God is concerned. There has to be obedience, fruitfulness, and here, for the righteous being, that will end in what? It said it will end in eternal life. So if you do not walk in this spiritual work and this obedience and led, your end will not be righteousness, it will be eternal death. See, he's telling us what's going to end. And it has to rule now. See, people think, oh, it's all past, present, future, it's all... No, it isn't. It said, even so, grace will reign, would reign. That's present tense. So it has to work. This is the overcoming life in the present. Okay? Any other kind of overcoming is foolishness. It don't exist. Okay. Yeah, people say, all oh, past, present. I said, well, you just listen to false shepherd. Well, I went to seminary. I said, they taught you demonic teaching. I said, the more intellectual, the more deceived you get. I tell people, don't read the Bible. Don't do anything if you have no intention to follow the Lord. And if you're disobeying and you're in gross sin, you're just going to add punishment to yourself later. He's not interested in these other things until you deal with what's at hand. So a lot of people study, go to seminary, and their life don't change. They're still mean. They're still unforgiven. They still uh, want to live their own life, and they think they're spiritual. No, they're worse off. It's better that they had not known the way of truth because now they're going to come under a greater judgment Okay, because they have more there available. Okay. So the Christian is called by God, Revelations tells us, and he's chosen by God. Why is he chosen? For he accepts the call. Okay? Don't mean God chose him for no other reason. No, he chose and chose to listen to the call. And he's the elect that way. See, we like to make things in a modern tense. A lot of the words don't mean the same they mean today. The elect, the angels, the righteous angels, two-thirds of them that did not fall from heaven, they're called the elect angels. They weren't elected to stay. They stayed holy. They weren't elected to anything, but they elected to stay in Christ. It wasn't that God said, oh, I think I'll just pick a third of the angels and make devils out of them. You know, the way these people talk about this ultra-Calvinism and this predestination, they're worse than the devil. They insult God. They make God a devil. They need to keep their mouth shut. Like James said, not many of you should be teachers. He had just finished calling them fools, for they thought they could have faith without fruit. He said, not many of you should teach, because we'll come under a stricter judgment. 
So people teaching all this nonsense, they're going to go to a greater hell when they drop dead because they're going to deceive other people and they're going to be responsible for that also. Okay? So it's called and chosen. And then the scripture says faithful. A lot of people want to be the called chosen. They leave out the faithful. See, that's the overcoming life. That's walking in the spirit, being led. That's bearing fruit and being obedient and doing spiritual work. See, that's why the ultra Calvinist of course, leaves that out. Well, he's a heretic anyway. Okay, I've been in 50 years, and I haven't found many of them that ever been enlightened. Once they believe that nonsense for 10 years, they're under a demon, as far as I'm concerned. They can't even see the simplicity of the scripture, and the Lord's hiding it from them. Okay, So we are to be yoked with him, and we have one spirit in Christ. That means the divine side, Christ, and that means the human side. Doesn't say he drags us around and we don't have to walk. No. For two to walk together, they have to be in agreement, the scripture says. So if we're yoked to Christ, we have to follow him. He'll take the lead. He'll tell us where to do this, and we just walk with him. Under the law, it was to teach people, you're never yoked together, an ox and a jackass, because the jackass could do what it wants to do, whenever it wants to do it, and the ox was very steady at what it did. So they couldn't get anything done. If you looked out in the field, they'd be making circles and design. There would be no straight plowing. See, because their natures are totally different. So if we yoke ourselves, if we're one with the Spirit, then we obey the Spirit. But see, it's the human spirit that's still alive and has been cleansed. And that's where Christ dwells in his spirit and he empowers the spirit. He doesn't override it. He doesn't make it do something. He gives it the ability to rule the soul and the body. So he always deals with the spirit of the Christian first because he has to get man's consent and will to overcome and rule the body. That's his responsibility. See, a lot of people think it's all grace. Well, you're going to be deceived, my friend, because it's not true. And your lifestyle proves it, okay? And while we are yoked with him and walk with him, then we bear the fruit. He's the vine, we're the branches. We're connected. We're intertwined. And when the branch doesn't want to obey the vine, it stops obeying, it stops yielding, and it dries up. And the master comes along and chops it off and burns it because it's useless to him, okay? And he doesn't blame the vine for this. He blames the branch, got it? Because the branch is responsible. So if we do not abide or continue or remain in Christ, the vine, that means his will and his word, then he's cut off. See, people don't like to hear it scare. It should scare you. You're under probation, it's not freebies of the past, present, future. You just want to believe a lie. God has a right to test his beings. He did the angels. And we don't know all the ins and outs, but one third of them were cast out. And when God got tired of it and the test was over, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It happened in a split of a second. Once he made up his mind and he, he went through the whole test so if he can test angels, he can surely test man. That's his right. He has a lot of rights that people don't consider that he has. And 
he's testing loyalty and overcoming. He gives us what's needed. And if we don't use it, we lose. And then in the future in heaven, it's never brought up again. He said, then we enjoy his grace and kindness forever with the Lord. He said, the eye has not seen, the ear heard the great things the Lord's prepared for those who love him. So he has a right to test people. And so we are under a lifetime of testing, and he gives us what we need. So we're not going to be able to blame the Lord or anybody else. If we don't make it, you blame yourself. Okay? Okay, so there's believing, obeying, and continuance is the only way one remains a Christian. See, people don't like, yes, you can lose your salvation. And I dare say, most truly born-again Christians in our time are losing their salvation. Oh, the masses of them are false Christians. We read what Jesus said. He said, it'll be as the times of Noah. How many were saved? Noah. Noah found grace with God. He didn't even say his children found. It's because they obeyed their father. It was because of their father's righteousness. They were on the boat. And Lot daughters, and started off his wife, they got out because Lot was righteous. And he said it would be days of Noah and Lot. There was only one righteous at each time. Isn't that astounding? At one time, Israel was so bad, Ezekiel, Isaiah says, God speaking through the prophet, he said, though Job and Daniel and Noah were living at this time, they would only save themselves and not their children. He was saying it was only their own righteousness would keep them. He would have not have spared their children. They would have been judged with everybody else. Oh, the children may be good, but they weren't righteous like Noah. They weren't righteous like Light. I mean, his two daughters were going to marry unbelievers. They were engaged to him. Well, they didn't know much better then, but they obeyed their father, both cases. That's what saved them. But when you look at the context, one person... So it's going to get darker and darker. And the Lord said there'll be a falling away from the church. He ain't talking about denominations. He's talking about true, born-again Christian. They're the only ones that have true faith. And he said, and there will be a falling away from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. It means they'll have once followed the Lord, and then they'll be following demonic teachings. Well, we already know about them, don't we? Ultra-Calvinism, once saved, always saved materialism, they call it prosperity. It's covetousness and greed for things of this world. See? And they think that's noble. It's all of the Lord. See, they believe the lie. The sin has deceived them. And they're not going to see the truth until they repent. And many of um, they don't want to do that. They like the life they're living. Okay. And so we go to verse 6, 1. Famous verse in question. And people so abuse it. They don't read these scriptures we just read or the ones that follow, and they try to make it say something it doesn't say. What shall we say? The true Christian is what Paul's talking about. Those under grace, those who have been born in the Spirit, those who are walking in righteousness. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Oh, it's all God's glory. It's all grace and faith. We have nothing to do with it. See, that's what they're saying. They'll moan and groan in the lake of fire for eternity when they see the truth. How they were lied to and they wanted to believe it, okay? And so he says what? The answer to grace, are we to continue in willful sin 
that grace will be made wonderful and made to Greens and grace, like someone said, if you believe in once saved, always saved, you got the best gospel there ever is if it was the truth. Because you're not only got your ticket to heaven, you can live like hell here and it don't matter. You got the best of both worlds. I say, yeah, that's the way it amounts to. And that's why you know it's a demonic teaching, okay? So he explains. So he says, now, grace is dependent on what? Continuing in grace. He's saying, not staying in sin, not continuing. Power over sin is what grace gives. The false shepherd tells you it is a covering, a license to sin. Once saved, always saved. Well, it's not so, you who want the truth. Grace removes past sins, but it gives power to overcome the present and the present life, to overcome the sin. It doesn't give you a license to sin. It doesn't give you a free ticket to heaven. It don't work. If grace is not used and walked in, it's called vain and dead. And Paul and James were in perfect agreement there. Verse 2, may it never be. Old King James says, God forbid. It means don't ever think that, that I can continue in sin because I'm under grace. Because he knows it's a lie. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? If you've been freed from sin, why, why do you keep living in the dredges of sin? Did you, your actions prove you're not free because you're still in it. Peter said, yeah, he said, they preach this kind of gospel. Well, Peter said they distorted Paul's teachings. He says, as they do all scripture to their own damnation. You can see why they're going to hell. But he also said, he said, they promised them liberty. Oh, the liberty of grace and faith alone. And then Peter says, and yet they're under the bondage of sin and they're corrupt. He didn't say they were saved. He didn't say they had a He told you what they were. They were preaching liberty when they were the slaves of sin. That's what Peter was telling them. Very plain and simple. So he was in agreement with, with him also with Paul. So the very practical answer, it should never be. It cannot be a license to sin, a continue in sin if you've been freed from it. So he's dealing with the practical now. Everybody wants this mental state. I've heard Christians say, well, I'm seated with Christ. And I said, no, you're not. You're living in adultery. You're a thief and you're a liar and you're a false Christian. How can you be seated with Christ? Well, you don't know grace. I could be living with an adulteress and having sex with her. And when the rapture takes place, I'm going to go with Jesus. They tell me this stuff. It shows you how they've been given over to evil spirits. They believe that. It's a bunch of garbage. Doctrines of devils, okay? Okay. So how can we practice sin against Christ? He's talking about willful sinning, knowledgeable sinning, not ignorant sin, not making mistakes. Even James says in many things, we offend many people. Well, sometimes it's a sin. Sometimes it's just we don't recognize what's going on, or but we offend many. And he said, if you don't offend with your lips, you're a perfect man. He doesn't need perfect subtleness. He means you know how to deal with humanity. Keep your mouth shut and don't say nothing evil against them. But James is very, very practical, okay? So remember, as we said hundreds of times, all the judgments of God 
And there's going to be four or five of them in the book of Revelations, and there's been some in the past, past, present, future, are always based on works. Not once does it say on mental believing or faith. Not once. See? Because true faith and true covenant, the older know, your fruit and your obedience and your works prove what kind of faith you got. See, it's very simple. That's why James says, prove your faith. Show me your works. You talk faith and you have no works. He says that it's empty. It's dead. And he called the people who were teaching that. He said, you're fools. He called them fools. You're fools. He said, faith without works is dead. And then he explains how Abraham obeyed and had works. And until he sacrificed Isaac, as he did certain things, the promises did not come into being. And they would not have come into being. See, he had the great test. He had faith and works. And he uses Abraham to explain it, okay? As the Apostle Paul does also, okay? So we've said many times, it's believing is just a mental belief. That's what most people have. They don't have gospel believing. Because gospel believing means you put into practice what you believe, see? They just believe in what they had. And like James says, oh, the devils believe that Jesus is the Lord, and they tremble because they know they're going into eternal lake of fire. They're terrorized. They don't want him to be near them. They're afraid of him. But they believe he's the Lord. They know he's the Lord. They don't confess him as their Lord as obedience. The devil's their Lord that way. But they know he's the God of the universe, and he's the judge. When he was cast them out, they said, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? They know there's a time they're going to be tormented. And they were afraid. They didn't know all the rules. Maybe Jesus could have consigned them to hell right then. But they were terrorized. But they knew he was the Lord. And they, they knew it before the disciples figured out much. They said, we know who you are. So everything out of their mouth is not a lie. Sometimes they have to acknowledge the truth, Eleutera. But what did they say? We know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Well, who was the Holy One of Israel? He was Jehovah God. They knew who he is and was and shall be. It didn't save them, though, and it's not going to save them. Okay? So a lot of people, they just have that mental assent. Oh, I believe in the Lord. I believe in God. And it's not going to help them one iota. Okay? Just believe in that. So they believe the truth, but they have to submit to the truth. They have to practice what they believe. Uh huh. It's like a person telling you, well, the Lord's told me I have a gift of giving, and I never give it to anybody. Oh, I have to have this car, and I like this. If I had excess, I'd give it, but I have a gift of giving. You would sit there and think, well, you're such an absurd person. So that's how many people's Christianity is, okay? Or do you not know? Okay, know this is what he's saying. I'm reminding you of this, that all of us, as Christians, we who walk in grace and have the faith of Christ and trust him as Lord, we have been baptized. Now he's talking about, some people think both, but he said we have been baptized into Christ Jesus and have been baptized into his death. So literally, spiritually, when we come to the Lord, we are spiritually 
baptized with him. And the outward sign is just water baptism. Many people get water baptism, but they've not really had the experience. So it's vain. And when the Holy Spirit enters them, he cleanses and removes all sin. Legally, we are baptized, and that's what it removes. And we are resurrected. We're born again. The Spirit of Christ does that. So it's a spiritual baptism. And the water baptism is just an outward sign. It has no real spiritual effect. The only thing it has effect for a Christian is that Christ told you to be baptized in water, so you do it. But if you don't have the real experience, like Paul said, you claim to be Jews. He was talking to Jews because you're circumcised. He said, if you do not keep the law, he said, your circumcision is counted as uncircumcision. Now, circumcision was like baptism for us under the old covenant. So Paul makes it very plain, and he was a Jew of Jew and a Pharisee of Pharisee. He knew the law better than most of them did. All of them, probably. He said, you claim to be Jews? Are you committing adultery? Are you stealing? Are you lying? He said, then your circumcision is counted as nothing. See, he made it very practical. So now he's saying, if you claim to be a Christian and you've been baptized with Christ, then I better see the fruit of it. You're not to continue in willful sin and rebellion against the Lord. That's what he's saying, okay? So he said, when you were baptized, the spiritual side met and the water baptism, you were dead to sin. That's why you were buried, because you were dead. That's the symbolism. You have to be buried. And Christ died, and he was buried in the tomb, and then he was resurrected, see? And he did it in our place so we could be done. He had to do everything and lay the foundation for us, or it couldn't have happened. And he said, as the Romans 1 says, that is the spirit of holiness raised him, Christ, from the dead. He does us. When we're born again and we turn to the Lord, he does that. And at the final, when we die or when we're raptured, we enter in because Christ rose from the dead. And if Paul said, if Christ did not raise from the dead, he said, I would eat, drink, and be merry. And it wouldn't matter. Now, that's the apostle telling you. But he says, foolish people talk that way. He said, don't associate with them. He said, they're fools. He said, we know this already. And he said, you think I suffered all the things I suffered just for this life? He said, I hear people say, well, I'd be a Christian anyway. I said, well, you're a fool because you ain't suffered enough and you've had a good life. I've heard one famous person said, I don't know if heaven can be better than this. And I thought, well, because you're not going to heaven. You found your life. You're doing what you please. Because if you were following the Lord, you take up the cross daily, and sometimes there's a dying. And sometimes you have to obey the Lord rather than your own impulses or what you want. You have to do what he wants, or you're not a Christian. Uh, Christianity does not cause you to suffer and make decisions as a false Christianity. People forget that. The 12 gates of Jerusalem are pearls. And a pearl is made from suffering and an oyster. A grain of sand gets there and irritates it, and he starts covering it and covering it layer and layer so it will be smooth and won't irritate him. So he's saying the 12 doors to the new Jerusalem 
only those who've suffered for the gospel will enter. Well, they don't have to be martyred. A lot of people live a martyr. Uh, sometimes martyrdom isn't that great. They're killed in an hour or so. I think it's martyrdom to live 50 and 60 years and stay faithful to the Lord. I think they're going to get a greater reward. See? People sort of measure things differently. But we suffer. Every Christian suffers. You who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Now, it said persecution. And Paul said, and through much tribulation we enter the kingdom. You know how the Christian mainly suffers, even if it's outward? He has to overcome the flesh. He has to not yield to the fleshly desires. That's overcoming. He's suffering for the gospel. He's denying himself the pleasures of life to serve the Lord. He's denying the pleasures of sin for a season. And, and don't get me, a lot of sins are very pleasurable and people want to continue and it binds them and they end up dead and in hell. But we who know the truth, we resist these temptations because we know in the long run there's a price that's going to be paid. Sin has wages and the wages is eternal death. So for the Christian to stay faithful at this time, when the days of no one lot, and many are falling away, and few there be that saved, that's suffering for the gospel. So a lot of people say, well, I don't suffer. I say, yes, you do if you're a real Christian. They may not beat you. We may not live in a country where they beat us yet for our Christianity or throw us in prison or kill us. And I said, but you suffer because you turn down the world in us. You don't fall for all the false Christianity and religions that pacify man instead of dealing with his corrupt nature. So you suffer by being faithful to the Lord and not doing things you'd rather do. See, that's why Jesus said you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily. It means you have a will as a Christian. And you can follow the Lord's leading or you can say, no, I'm not going to do it. Now you notice he said, you take up your cross. You can't crucify yourself. He does that. He works the death that us to ourself and to our own nature and our will. But we have to head toward the place of crucifixion. See, that's the human side. Take up your cross. People a lot of times say, well, I don't think I have cross. I say, well, you need to check out your Christianity. If you have real Christianity, you suffer. You suffer tribulation. And David said, the righteous are afflicted all day long. Paul said that. Why are we afflicted? Because we resist temptation. We don't live our own life. We don't find our life. See, many people, prosperity, but they think they're going to have their heaven here. They're going to be surprised. They're in covetousness and greed and materialism. They're tied to this world, not to the Lord. They're living their own life. And they think God's blessing them. He sent them a lying spirit. They go find out when it's too late. No, we suffer in Christ and for Christ by being led of him. Because he's going to lead us to do things that we don't want to do. That our natural will said, I'd rather not do that. Yeah. Years ago, I pray and I feel led to do something. And I sort of try to get out of it. And I said, well, you know, Lord, I mean, he said, I'm not really interested in your opinion. I'm interested in your obedience. That ended that. So, take up your cross daily. Paul said this, I am crucified daily. See, people think, oh, it's a one time. No. See, they got false Christianity. 
You just began when you said, I believe in the Lord and I repent and I accept the Lord and I'll follow it. You just began the race. You have to finish the race. And to do that, you have to continue in the race. Okay? It's very simple. Okay. Therefore, again, we have been buried with him through baptism unto death. It symbolized death. And as Christ was raised from the dead through the Spirit, the glory of the Father, the Spirit of holiness, so we too might walk in newness of life. So he's telling the Christian, you have to walk in newness and holiness. You can't continue in your willful sin. That this grace does something if you let it do it. But if you don't, you can refuse it. It's vain, empty, and useless. See, If people just read that verse alone, these two verses, they could be enlightened if they wanted to, but they've been given over the lying spirits because they believe this garbage for 5, 10, 20 years, and they're supposed to be Bible scholars, so they read commentaries, and most of the commentaries are false when it comes to eternal security. They encourage a license to sin. Read your Bibles. And there's many nice, tra the top 10 translations, and I have many of them, they don't differ an iota on the main principles. Just believe what they say, okay? You don't need no new knowledge. So what are we seeing here? Therefore, for this reason, the reason you were buried with Christ, you were joined with him in his death. He was your representative. He did it for you and for the human nature. He gives them power, and he deals with the old nature. And his death could not hold him. Why couldn't it hold Jesus? He was born sinless, no carnal nature. He overcame the temptations of sin by the devil. He never committed a sin. And so death could have no power over him. Isn't this interesting? Oh, the death of the body had to, because he was made the representative for man. He who knew no sin was made sin. He did that, God, for us, not for himself only, because he represented us. It had no power to keep him. Okay, let's go to Psalms 16, 9 and 10. The psalmist speaking here, David, and it's Christ speaking in him. 16, 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh, that's his humanity, it's not the sinful nature, it's just the human nature, the human body. My flesh will rest in hope. That's the three days he was in the tomb. The angel saw to it, he saw no corruption. His body could not corrupt, he was sinless. God guaranteed that, okay? And then his spirit went in and proclaimed victory to those in paradise, and he took them up with them, okay? For you will not leave my soul in hell or the grave, okay? Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that's something. And then I love the next verse because it's for us that overcome and make it at the end. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that's the one that overcomes. So Christ obtained that for us.
So the spirit of the Father, spirit of holiness, raised him to life. And the same spirit then, he's the spirit of Christ. He was given to us. He comes and abides in us now, okay, to walk and live in our spirit. And he says that we shall have newness of life. So he gives us the ability. Now, a lot of people don't understand it. We're not told too much, but we know God it says there's no place that he's not. He sees all. There's nothing hid from him. Whatever the universe is, the natural uh, God's there. He made it. He sustains it. And so God is in everybody, everything, at a certain degree. But he's not in them with fellowship or covenant like he is with the believer. So he's closer to the center than he realizes. He observes everything. Now Paul quoted one of the old worldly prophets. He said, we live and we move and we have our being in him. So he thought that was a good saying, so he used it. He said, wherever we are. But Christ is in the believer, his spirit, in a way he is not in the world or the sinner. He does not have communion with them. He does not have fellowship. He doesn't give them a certain amount of grace. He gives them the grace to live. He upholds the natural laws and anything. That's his grace. Nobody is without grace if they're living. Just different degrees. So a, a person can think there is no God, and that could be true if he's given himself over to demons. A true atheist has a demon. Yeah. If he's that intellectual and he can't look at nature and, and the way things work and believe there's a God, it all came from a puff of gas. Well, he, they never asked you where the gas came from. Somebody had to make the gas. Oh, but I guess the gas was the originator. Uh, they're so absurd. I guess it's the creator is the gas. They're so foolish. You can see why God's deceiving them. Okay. So newness of life, he enters us in a way he does not deal with those who are not in covenant, okay? So if we are not walking in newness of life, if we're not trying to follow the Lord and keeping short accounts, and if we fail and sin using our high priest and taking his chastisement and taking up the cross daily, then we've got false Christianity. That's all it is. And that's what most people have. Oh, they may believe some of the truth in their head, but they have not begun to. Oh, they believe Jesus is Lord, but he's not their Lord because they're not following him. Okay, very practical. And it's not automatic. You have to make a choice. And the spirit of man, uh, the born again man, still is a spirit like an angel. He has his own unique personality. And it's to join with Christ. It's been cleansed. It's been given the ability to obey the Lord and to rule his soul and body. See? Christ does not take responsibility to rule in your soul and body. He says your spirit can do that. He's not going to do it. You have to do it. See? So if it don't work, get done, who's responsible? It isn't the Lord. Okay? Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we were baptized. We do water baptism also to show the world and others that we're dead with Christ. We died in him. When he died, we died. Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So he's saying one day, whether it's our soul, our body, or whatever, a lot of things hard to put together, 
but one day we're going to be resurrected in a way eternally. And Paul said, and he walked in real close, he said, I'll do anything to attain to the resurrection of the just. He didn't ever say, I'm secure and I don't have to worry about anything and I can live like a... He said, I'll do work, obey. He said, I'll do anything to obtain to the resurrection. And so our resurrection, spiritually, bodily, soulish, is all because Christ was raised from the dead. Body, soul, and spirit. And he was the sinless one, okay? Simply repeating the fact, what he said previously, we're joined in death and we're joined in life if we're in Christ Jesus. And that means he takes the whole context, if you're living in grace. See, all that's nullified if you're claiming grace and you're living in gross sin. None of this applies to you because you're not meeting the condition. Yeah, I love how heretics sometimes they grab two and three scriptures and the other 21s before and after, it's like they don't matter. As soon as you give them a scripture to enlighten them, they'll give you theirs. I said, well, that's wonderful. Now you harmonize it with this one. You can't pit it against each other. God don't talk out of both sides of his mouth. See, heretics often talk out of both sides of his mouth. I said, no, you got to go one or the other. So you got to take this scripture and you got to put it and see where they harmonize, because they're not in conflict with you. The Holy Spirit inspired it. You think he's going to lie to himself? Okay. They are deceived. Let us stop here at verse 5, chapter 6. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Help us to be like the Philadelphia church, to hold on to our crown. Let no one take our crown, that crown of righteousness, that we could be faithful to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.